That was, uh, like I said in the first service, a little bit of Jim Carrey and a little bit of Kevin James just overacting at its finest. That was fantastic. Really appreciate that. Uh, we've been in this little series uh, helping us to just make it through this COVID-19 season in a way that is not just okay, but where we can actually thrive. So we've been thinking about some things that we need to inject into our system so as to succeed. And we've, we've mentioned two things so far. I'll mention the third today. If we're going to make it and actually going to thrive during this time that we have together, number one, we need some COVID flex, that is be flexible. Number two, you've got to inject some COVID accept, that is we accept one another out, out of reverence for Christ, the same way that we've been accepted uh, by God in Christ Jesus. And then today, we're going to be talking about COVID patience, that is you've got to be patient. We're going to focus on that this morning, real simple, and I am not going to exhaust your patience. I know that we, we just had this drama and we're running out of time, so if you're watching your clock, just trust me, we're going to be done in about 27 minutes and then that's it. So praise the Lord for that. I don't want to test your patience while talking about patience. So let's go ahead and stand out of respect for God who's speaking to us through his word. The text we're going to look at is uh, James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. Here's what James says. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn spring, autumn and, and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, we know that impatience doesn't do anybody else any good and it will drive you crazy. Uh, But simply knowing that it drives you crazy and everybody else around you crazy is not sufficient in of itself. We have to get to the root of what causes our impatience. And what James identifies as the root of our impatience is an impatience with God. Now, most of the time when we think about impatience, we think about being impatient with other people. I'm not patient with my spouse or my child or my boss or my job or with process or I'm not patient with things getting back to normal. We think I'm not patient with the line, I'm not patient with traffic, I'm not patient with the red light or or whatever it is. We tend to think about other things out here and about other people. But what James tells us is if we're not patient, it's because fundamentally we're not patient with God. And so the good news is if you want to become patient, we can get right to the heart of the matter and address what is most significant. Uh, And that's really good news because some people have said, well, here's what patience is. Patience is how we behave when there are too many witnesses. Uh, But that doesn't actually address the, the issue of patience. Some of us would say, I want patience and I want it now. Fundamentally, we know if I behave on the outside as a patient person, that hasn't changed anything inside. But the good news is the Bible gives us the equipment that we need, the direction that we need to become fundamentally patient because the gospel empowers us to come to terms with God with regards to him seeming slow and off of our schedule, so to speak. Let's look at it in James chapter 5, verse 7. Here's how he starts. James says, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. Translation, up there has not come down here yet. 
This isn't heaven. This is not heaven on earth now. And until up there comes down here, until the king returns and sets everything right, until the judge comes through the door, and he's just on the other side of the door, until the judge comes and settles all these matters and makes the world right, until that happens, you've just got to deal with the fact that up there hasn't come down here, that you're going to experience some difficulties and tribulations and sufferings. And so if you're suffering but you're not suffering well, at the root of this is this idea or this misunderstanding that God ought to be on your schedule because if God had set things right, you wouldn't be dealing with this right now. But this is in heaven. The king hasn't returned yet. And so in the meantime, you'd better deal with the fact that you're going to be waiting on God. God isn't waiting on you. And that's okay because we don't set the schedule. God sets the schedule. And the expectation for those of us who are servants is that we live according to his schedule, not the master according to ours. And so James goes on and he says this in verse 8. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm. Now notice this word patience in the Bible. Let me explain something to you. The Greek word for patience is makrothumas. Macro, you know what that means, large or long, and then thumas has to do with anger. And it's the kind of anger that's not the the slow, steady, wrath of God opposed to injustice kind of anger. It's the flare-up kind of anger. It's the emotional, reactional, visceral sort of anger. And so when you put all of this together, somebody who has patience is somebody who takes a long time getting to the point where they just flash, till they just you know, explode. It's the person who can take a long time getting to the place where the person has just got under their skin to the point where they have to react. And if you're going to be that kind of person who is patient, who takes a long, long time before they just explode and become angry. And and you might've noticed in this little skit on impatience, you noticed that the person was very quick to anger. That's what an impatient person does is they just explode. They've got a very short fuse. And most of us, we know that's a good thing to have a long fuse to be able to wait to explode. It's just that in some moments, in some cases, we forget that patience in and of itself is not just a virtue. It's a part of the reward. Here's what I mean. Around Thanksgiving, most of us understand we love the turkey and we love the dressing and all the rest, but it's not just what's on the table. It's the fact that we've waited. I don't know how it is around your house, but we skip breakfast because we know Thanksgiving is coming because we know the lunch is coming. And and there's also the work and the preparation and a lot of work that goes on, not just in the morning, but maybe even the day before. In other words, we enjoy the feast partly because it wasn't microwaved. The same thing happens with regards to graduation. Why is graduation such a big deal, whether it's from college or from high school? It's because there was endurance. There were years that were put in, work that was put in, until finally you got the degree or until finally you got the certification or until finally you achieved that goal. It's not just the achievement in and of itself. It's all the work that went into the achievement. Part of the reward is the patience that was exhibited and grown in achieving what it is that you achieved. Patience isn't just a virtue. It's a part of the reward. I I love this story about a little 12-year-old girl. Her name was Lee. She was dropped off by her mom at this New York 5K. They signed up for this 5K family-friendly run. The girl gets there. Mom drops her off. And the girl's afraid that she's not going to be able to take off with the the runners, that she's a little bit late. So she hears the gun run off, go off, and she just kind of runs and joins the race. Unfortunately, she didn't know that she had joined the half marathon as opposed to the 5k the 5k was starting 15 minutes later 
So she's running in this race and about four miles into it, she doesn't see the finish line. And she asks the person next to her, what's going on? And the person says, well, you're in the half marathon. And the girl's thinking, I didn't sign up for this. But she keeps putting one foot in front of the other, in front of the other. The mom, of course, is freaking out because she didn't see her daughter at the start of the 5K. And then the mom is there at the, at the end and the daughter doesn't show up at the end of the 5K. Mom calls the police. They're looking everywhere. A couple of hours later, they find this 12 year old girl, you know, in the victory pit for the half marathon. And the girl is smiling. She's got the medal around her neck and mom is so proud. And here's the moral of the story. Sometimes we think we're on one course, but we've been set on another course. And because we got set on another course, and even if it was a harder course, we're really happy that we didn't run the course that we signed up for. Patience. During the suffering, it wasn't really very fun. But when you get to the finish line and you've run the half marathon, it's a whole lot better than having finished the 5K. You ever feel like, hey, this isn't the day I signed up for. This isn't the week I signed up for. For some of you, you're thinking, this wasn't the life I signed up for. And yet, you know that the endurance and the suffering that you're going through is going to have a payoff. And you don't exactly know what the payoff is, but you're kind of glad. In some respects, sometimes at the end of the race, that you didn't run the course that you thought you were actually running. And the good news in all of this is God knows what he's doing. While we think that we know the schedule that we ought to be on and the course that we ought to be on, God actually knows better. Sometimes he sets us on a course that we didn't, we didn't figure out. Sometimes his schedule, oftentimes his schedule is not in accordance with our particular schedule. But if you're going to live a wise life, if you're going to live a good life, if you're going to live a life that is sane, if you're going to live a life that is productive and helpful to other people, you've got to come to terms with this central fact. You're on God's schedule. God is not on your schedule. And the sooner you wise up to this, the better your life will be. And this is essentially what farmers understand. That's why James points to the farmers and he says, here are some people who understand there are boundaries to existence. And if they're going to succeed, they're going to live within these boundaries and they're not going to live on their own schedule. They're going to submit themselves to a schedule that is given to them from above. Again, back to verse 8. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm. Translation, you've got a schedule to keep, but the schedule isn't yours. And if you live in accordance with your own schedule as opposed to the schedule that God presents to you, you're going to fail. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to live with regret. Because the farmers understood, I've got to live in cadence and in rhythm with the seasons. And there were only two main rains that really counted, that really mattered, that everybody ought to pay attention to. It was the autumn rain and the spring rain. Here's how it worked. If you were going to plant on the one end, on the front end, if you're going to plant the seeds, you had to wait for the autumn rain. Here's why. Palestinian farmers knew this. If you put the seed in the dust before the rain came, one, it's going to be really hard to get it into the ground. But two, it's just not going to germinate. But there would be the temptation that people would have. Well, you know, is the rain ever going to come? Is it going to come? And you just wanted to plant that seed early. If you did, you would fail and fail miserably. There would be nothing. You'd invest a lot of energy and get nothing. But even more tempting than being early to the autumn rain would be be essentially being early to the spring rain. Because the spring rain is what caused the wheat to to fill out, to be full, to to swell up. But the, the stalks could grow and you could see the wheat... And, 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 and as you saw the wheat, 
you would be tempted to a little bit early harvest because you'd be thinking, is the spring rain going to come? Is the spring rain going to come? I might as well cut my losses now. It's not the 100% that I was anticipating. But if the spring rain doesn't come, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to lose everything. And so some people would say, I'm better with the 10% than the 100%. But if you if you basically harvested before the spring rain came, if you didn't wait and didn't wait and didn't wait, and you harvested early, and then the spring rain came, you would be filled with regret. What James is essentially communicating to you and to me is this. If you're early, if you're operating on your own schedule, if you're not paying attention to God's schedule, if you're not waiting on the Lord, you're going to pay the price and everybody else around you is going to pay the price because it wasn't just about the farmer's well-being. Okay, the farmer might have enough to feed himself, but what about his family? What about the entirety of the community? We are all connected to one another. And if you're not operating on God's schedule, you're paying the price. Other people are paying the price. Oh, and by the way, God is not only disappointed, he can't use you in a powerful way. And we're going to get to that in a second. Now, here's what happens when we don't wait and wait and wait on the Lord. Here's, here's the big temptation. Our temptation, my temptation, your temptation, and when I told Gina that I was praying, that I was preaching about impatience, she laughed. She literally laughed out loud. Okay, so I'm, I'm preaching above my head. This, this applies to me too, but here's what happens when we get impatient. We start saying, God, I've got a schedule for my life, and you're not on my schedule. And when God isn't on our schedule, here's the temptation. We want to manipulate things so that everything comes onto our schedule. We want to say to God, I think I do a better job running my life than you, and I know how the schedule for my life needs to work out, and I'm not getting what it is that I think I ought to be getting according to my schedule. And so here's what people do. They say, well, I haven't got the promotion that I thought. I didn't graduate when I thought I should, or I didn't get the job that I thought I should, or, or you know, I didn't get married when I thought I should, or I haven't gotten the children yet, or I haven't gotten the promotion yet, or I haven't gotten the house yet, or I haven't gotten whatever it is, and because I haven't got what I thought I would have by this point in my life, I'm going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to cut corners and I'm going to, I'm going to cheat a little bit and maybe it's not right, but I'm going to steal a little bit from the company because, well, I should have gotten this and they didn't give it to me. And, and all of a sudden, because we start taking matters into our own hands and we start thinking God ought to be on my schedule and things aren't, and life isn't on my schedule, we start manipulating things and, and we take all these little seeds of bitterness that have been planted into our lives and we start watering them and they, they're the seeds of despair or self-centeredness or self-pity and we have an enormous capacity for perversity and self-centeredness and pride and if you are basically planting the seed before you should or you're harvesting before you should it's going to wreak havoc in your life and there's going to be destruction for people around you you've got to submit yourself to god's schedule because it's the only schedule that matters it's the only schedule that counts and you deny reality at your own expense. Let me give you a perfect example of this. This is making it very practical. I know with regards to, to younger people, because I've got a couple of younger people in my family right now. And there are some younger, younger people here. And, and maybe you're out there and you're single and you're just thinking, okay, I know as a single Christian, here's how it ought to be. I ought to be waiting. Uh, there are certain ways that I ought to relate to other people and certain ways I shouldn't relate to other people. And uh, I know there's just sort of some rules there. And, but I want to plant early or I just, you know, I haven't gotten married yet and it's ring by spring. And I know that's a big thing around universities and I'm not making fun because my nephew just graduated and his fiance just graduated and they, and she got the ring by spring and they're getting married in December here in Georgetown. I think that's fantastic. But if somebody else is thinking, you know, it was on my schedule to get married by now 
You know what you're going to start doing? You're going to start thinking, well, you know, maybe I should compromise a little bit. And, okay, it's not everything that I wanted or everything that God desired. And I know that God said I shouldn't be, you know, be married or, or unequally yoked and all this stuff. But, you know, if I just compromise over here and plant a little early or if I just, you know, cut my losses now and harvest a little early, it's better than nothing. I mean, you know, I can just compromise a little bit over here and over here. It's better than nothing. And let me just tell you something. It's not better than nothing. Living according to your own schedule and trying to create your own little utopia and and create your own little world, it's not better than nothing because when you put the seed in the ground and you put a lot of effort into it and it produces nothing, you've invested a lot of energy and it's not paid off. I was talking to Brett about this a little bit earlier, a couple of days ago, and we just both agree that basically 90% of the problems that happen in marriage happen at the altar or prior to the altar because people compromised. Because people thought, I'm just going to harvest early and I'm just going to cut my losses and this is just going to be what it is. It's not better than nothing to live on your own schedule. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt other people. And that's just one example. And, and, and the other thing is, too, God doesn't use people who don't live on his schedule. I, I can give you lots of illustrations of this. Here's the best one that I, I think that I can come up with. This is over in First Samuel chapter 13. There's the story of a king. His name is Saul. And Saul is about to go to battle with the Philistines, these, these enemies of the Lord, the enemy, enemies of Israel. But he knows that he needs to make a sacrifice to God. He wants God to bless him. And King Saul is in a hurry. But King Saul, even though he's the king, knows he cannot offer a sacrifice that has to be a priest. And so they've arranged for Samuel to show up. And Samuel says, I'm going to show up. He's this great prophet. I'm going to show up and I'm going to offer a sacrifice to God, a burnt offering to the Lord. And he doesn't show and he doesn't show and he doesn't show. And King Saul loses patience and he just says, I'm going to offer an offering to God and I'm going to do it now. I'll just take care of it because I can't wait anymore. I've got a country to run. I've got a battle to win. We're moving forward. So King Saul offers the offering. And as soon as he's finishing up with the burnt offering, Samuel shows up. And Samuel says, what in the world have you done? And King Saul says, well, you know, I was kind of forced to do it because, you know, you were a little bit late coming. The end is justified by the means. And Samuel says, no, it's not. You have done wrong. You have been impatient. You haven't stuck to God's schedule. And a little bit later, a couple of chapters later, there's this moment where where basically after Samuel has told uh, King Saul, you're cut off from the kingdom. You're done. God is done with you. A little bit later, King Saul runs after Samuel, kind of grabs him by the by the cloak and it rips a little bit. And Samuel says to the king, just as my cloak has been ripped, you've been ripped uh, from God's plan for your life. God wanted you to be king, but you have destroyed it because of what? Because of your impatience. You wanted God to be on your schedule. You weren't on God's schedule, so you are done. You're not king anymore. Now, some of you might be thinking, oh, wait a second, that just seems kind of harsh. Doesn't everybody get impatient? So the king couldn't wait a little bit longer to make a sacrifice. Is that is that enough justification for God to cut him off as king? Absolutely. You know why? Because in our pride, in our self-centeredness, in our self-pity, in our impatience, we say to God, God, I know better than you know. I've got a better schedule than you have. And I think I'm going to be, I think I'm going to be king over this. I'm going to be God over this little area of my life. It's not going to run you being the king over all the cosmos, but you can't rule my life because I know better than you do how things need to work out and when they need to work out, how I've worked them out. That is incredible arrogance and God will have none of it. Patience 
with God. Why would we be impatient with God? God can't use a king like that. He can't use a person like that who says, I'm just going to do things on my own schedule. I'm going to live in my own world, and you are going to wait on me. God says, that's not how it works. And when we learn to be patient with God and wait on God and live in accordance with God's schedule, then there's the blessing. Then the rain comes, and it always comes. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us the rain doesn't come necessarily in the way that we expect it to. It comes in ways we don't necessarily imagine it will. But there's always a blessing. There's always a harvest. At least there's a harvest of righteousness. But if we don't wait on the Lord, he can't use us. We cut ourselves off. We hurt other people. But if you learn to be patient with God, you're going to necessarily be patient with other people. Here's how it's put a little bit later on, verse 10. We'll keep pressing forward. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. You know, it's interesting that Job is used as the primary example of what it means to be patient because you might remember the primary point of the book of Job is God saying, I'm God, you're not. Why do you think you can judge my plan? Why do you think you can judge my schedule? You're on my schedule. I'm not going to be on your schedule. And when you come to terms with the fact that we ought to be living on God's schedule because he's God and we're not, here's what happens. We become necessarily more patient with people because it's through people that God reveals his schedule to us. In the skit that Mark just performed for us, there were multiple interruptions that if the character would have been sensitive, would have recognized that that was the schedule that God was having him to keep with that phone call or with that neighbor or with that knock on the door. It's primarily through other people and these interruptions that we frequently understand what God's schedule is for our lives. So it is possible to be patient. And again, I'm not saying that I've arrived and I don't know anybody that that has yet, but it is possible to be patient without retaliation. It's possible to be patient with people and and not have that shield of indifference because just because you're indifferent and, and don't care, that doesn't mean you're patient. That just means you're indifferent. So how can I be patient? Here are three things and then we're done. Three things. How can I be patient, grow in patience? Number one, I must recognize this is God that I'm waiting on. Now, let me just, let me ask you this. If you're in a college class, if you're in a university class and it starts at eight o'clock and it's eight oh one and the professor hasn't come yet, what do you do? Do you jump, jump out of your seat and run out the door? Well, no. You know why? You're waiting on the professor. This is the professor you're waiting on. If you're standing at the altar, the wedding was supposed to start at 2 and it's 2.01. Bride hasn't shown up yet. She's still working on her hair or makeup or whatever the case is. Are you going to leave? Absolutely not because this is your bride you're waiting on. Are you going to wait on God? Well, yes. You know why? Because it's God that you're waiting on. Besides this, Jesus makes it really, really plain. Whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me also. In every case, when we are waiting on people, in some respect or another... We are waiting on God, and God is deserving of us to wait on him because, again, he's the master, we're the servants, and the very nature of a servant is to wait on God. Number two, if I'm going to become patient, I've got to remember this. I must remember how patient God is with me. We do tax God's patience enormously. 
And to the degree that we recognize that we are in need of forgiveness, to the degree that we recognize that we are testing God's patience, to that degree we can be patient with God and patient with other people. And I, I think we would do well to remember that part of God's schedule. So I just I have a problem with God's schedule. Here's God's schedule. At the heart of God's schedule for you and for me was for him to come and wear a crown of thorns and take some nails through the hands and through the feet and die for you and me. That was on God's schedule. You know why that was on God's schedule? To suffer and suffer and suffer and suffer, even to the point of death, even death on a cross, because he didn't want the wrath of God flashing all over you. It's not just that he endured to the, to the point of death without an outburst of anger, which he didn't. The whole reason he endured to the point of death, even death on a cross, is so that there would be no wrath upon you and upon me. Now, when you recognize God has been patient with you, and I recognize that God has been patient with me, that ought to make a difference in the way in which we're patient with one another. There's a third thing, and, and that is this. I must do what I can and should do because waiting on God does not mean doing nothing. In fact, if you're waiting and you're doing nothing, it makes the waiting even worse. It really does. I love this study. It, it was... Done a few few years ago, there was this report that came out in the New York Times. Uh, Alex Stone was the, the journalist. He tells about this time when some executives in Houston at one of the airports there made an interesting decision in light of this cascade of complaints they'd received from people at the airport. There were a lot of people that were complaining about the wait time at the baggage carousel, and they shouldn't be waiting as long as they were. And so the executives made a choice. It made sense to them at the time. We're going to hire more bag handlers more baggage claim people so that they can basically put that on, put everything on the carousels a little faster and people will be serviced faster. And sure enough, the baggage was unloaded onto the carousels at a record rate of eight minutes, which was well below the average of the industry standard. And people still complained. It's taking too long for us to get our bags. Well, the executives were a little bit mystified by this until someone pointed out to them that the average walk time from from their gate to the baggage claim was only a minute. So the executives made an interesting decision. They decided to put the the gates further from the baggage claim so that they had longer to walk. So now people were walking a lot further to get to the baggage claim. So when they got to the baggage claim, their bags were already there waiting for them, and the complaint stopped, even though actually it took longer for people to walk from the gate to get their bags than for them to get off the gate and get there and hurry up and wait on their bags. And the point of the story is, it's not the wait time that's the problem. It's what we're doing while we're waiting. And if all we're doing is like twiddling our thumbs and waiting around and doing nothing, it's going to drive us crazy. So here's what we do. We wait on the Lord, but we wait on the Lord not, not passively. We wait on the Lord actively doing what it is that we know we should do while we wait so that when he returns... When the king of kings comes back, when the judge on the other side of the door comes to the door and he sets everything right, he's going to find us faithful doing what it is that we ought to be doing in the meantime. Okay, so how do we survive this season? And it is a weird season. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to be flexible. We are going to accept one another just as in Christ Jesus God has accepted us. And we're going to be patient. We are together going to be discerning what is God's schedule for us because it's not about I want you to get on my schedule or you're trying to get other people on your schedule. We want to determine together and discern together what is God's schedule for us and we want to be on his schedule. But we're going to be patient. We're going to be patient with one another as we're patient on the Lord, recognizing that 
God has something going on for us in this particular season. This may not have been the race that any of us wanted to run at this particular moment. But when we get to the finish line, wherever that finish line is, we can look back on whatever it is, recognizing that God had a plan, that God was doing something extraordinary. And we're also going to be patient on on God, recognizing he's incredibly patient on us, also recognizing, as strange as this sounds, our God has actually waited on us hand and foot. And he still does this. And when you recognize that, you ought to be able to wait on the Lord actively doing whatever it is that the Lord would have you to do in the meantime. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to be flexible. We're going to accept one another. And we're going to be patient. And in the middle of our response to God that comes ultimately through the gospel, hopefully the Lord will be glorified in us and through us for however long this particular season lasts. And with that, we're going to close in a word of prayer tonight, this afternoon, actually 5 o'clock. Please come back as we continue or start this class on biblical interpretation. I hope you'll come back this evening. I hope you'll serve the Lord as best you can, as well as you can, and as long as you can in the days ahead. But for now, we're going to close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for being patient with us. And, and you are patient because we are, so, we are so foolish to think that we could create some sort of little paradise, some little utopia without you according to our little rules because we know better than you do how the schedule of our lives ought to work out. What incredible pride and arrogance and self-pity. And yet you're patient with us as we, alongside of Job, have this tendency to actually judge you and play God with our lives and judge your schedule in accordance with the schedule that we created in our own minds, not knowing how our lives ought to work out together, overlapping with your particular plan. We, we, are, we judge you forgetting that you died for us so that you wouldn't have to judge us. God, you were so patient. And we see your patience on display in the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. And may the cross transform us in our attitude toward you, that we would be patient with you, waiting on you, our King, to return, waiting on you, our Judge, to make all things right. And in the meantime, Lord, we accept the fact that there are hot summers and cold winters, but there are also times of rain and abundance. May our lives be in step with yours. May our schedule match with your schedule, recognizing that your schedule is perfect, that you're never late. And we pray all of this in Christ's holy name. Amen. God bless you. Hope you have a great weekend. Hope to see you soon.